Well, now I turn to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we continue making our way through 1 Corinthians. We come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So this is the word of the Lord God as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write, as Paul wrote here to the church at Corinth. And so we know it is the very word of the living God. It is inspired by him. It is therefore inerrant. So let's attend with reverence to its reading. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that sends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's briefly pray. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word, that you have not left us to determine these things for ourselves, but have given us an infallible rule and guide for our faith and life. We ask, therefore, now that you would grant that the reading and the exposition and the hearing of your word would be blessed, that each one of us would go forth from here all the more equipped to serve you faithfully in greater knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we pray in his name. Amen. Well, in this short passage I just read, uh, we see that Paul has shifted topics as we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians. Uh, Back in chapter 7, you might recall that we saw that that he began to answer questions that had come to him uh, that were raised by the Corinthian brethren uh, in a letter that he'd received from the church at Corinth. And he dealt with questions about marriage and singleness, chastity and celibacy, and then moved on in, when we get to chapter 8 into questions about liberty of conscience, especially relative to the eating of meat from animals that had been sacrificed to false gods. Then he dealt with the question of proper order. And in the last half of chapter 11, he handled matters connected to the Lord's Supper. And here Paul moves into the matter of spiritual gifts that we'll be spending some time in the coming weeks in chapter 12 uh, dealing with spiritual gifts. Uh, He writes here, now concerning spiritual gifts, or literally just spiritual things, uh, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So that clues us in. That's what he's going to be talking about now. These first three verses of chapter 12 set the stage for what he's going uh, to be saying, what he'll be addressing in the following verses. Lord willing, it's my intention to deal with what he says uh, in these verses about spiritual gifts next time. But today I want uh, to concentrate on something he says along the way, on the matter that Paul states in verse 3, that Jesus is Lord. He writes, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is a matter 
of Christian confession. It is a basic fact that we must believe in order to be Christians that Jesus is Lord. And today I want to point out three things related to that fact. Uh, Number one is that, as we see here, no one uh, with the Holy Spirit can blaspheme Jesus in the sense of uh, rejecting who he really is. Yes, you can misspeak about Jesus. Yes, you might even take his name in vain. You might, in a moment of sin, use his name as a curse word. That doesn't mean you lost your salvation. In fact, Jesus himself teaches that all manner of blasphemy, even blasphemy against the Son, can be forgiven. But in the sense of rejecting him for who he really is, rejecting the fact that Jesus is Lord, no one who really has the Holy Spirit can do that. Secondly, no one can truly confess Jesus as Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And third, we'll see that Jesus' Lordship has at least three aspects that we find in Scripture. Uh, He is the Lord, which if you're reading that in the Old Testament in particular, would have all capital letters, Yahweh, that He is the Creator God. B, He is the King of the universe. He has Lordship over all things. And then C, He is the personal Lord of every believer. He has to be your Lord and Master if you are saved. There's no such thing as somebody who has Jesus as Savior, who doesn't have Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Again, we'll deal with these verses relative to the matter of spiritual gifts, uh, Lord willing, next week. But for now, note that that's the topic that Paul seeks to address when he talks about Jesus' lordship here, when he's emphasizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, or just spiritual things in the, in the Greek, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now he goes on to talk particularly about gifts, and so that's why our translations will usually say spiritual gifts there, because that's what he's dealing with. And he says, verse 2, You know that you were Gentiles carried away to, those, to these dumb idols. However, you were carried. However, you were led. Notice that Paul says they were led. As we'll note next Week, Paul could be referring to uh, even demonic activity uh, as Satan and his minions uh, prop up false religions and lead people away from the Lord. But for today, we can say that many Bible scholars think Paul is juxtaposing being led away from God. That's the, the main point here, is the difference between being led away from God by sin, by the world system, by Satan... The world, the flesh, and the devil, as we often say. So whether it's sinfulness from within you, or the sinful world system around you, or Satan himself, people are led away from God, versus people being led to God by the Holy Spirit. The Gentile nations were carried away, Paul says, to dumb idols. He's not using dumb in our modern colloquial sense there of saying, isn't that stupid? How silly. It is. The Bible does make fun uh, at times of people who make dumb idols. Well, craft, Isaiah has a lovely passage about somebody who crafts a uh, an idol out of wood and uses the rest of the same tree to cook his bread. 
but he thinks that the idol he's crafted is going to do something for him. The, but that's not what Paul means by dumb here. It means they're mute. They can't speak. The Gentile nations were carried away to dumb idols, to images that can't speak, images of gods who aren't really real. Satan deceived the nations, as Revelation 20, verse 3 indicates, and led them to worship idols. And as we've seen in earlier chapters, particularly uh, chapter 10, we saw that that uh, what the heathens sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons. And so demons are perfectly happy to impersonate these gods. But in the, on the other hand, as Paul says, the idol is nothing. And people were led away to these things that are nothing. But as Jesus says in Mark 3, he has bound the strong man, Satan, and and is now plundering his household. And so by contrast to Satan's deception, believers in Jesus are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And they're led not away from God, but to God. They're led to the truth. Romans 8, verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So notice his presumption is, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not in your sins, you're in the Spirit. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the implication is that if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you do have the Spirit of Christ in you. If you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8.11 says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So there twice in one verse, Paul says that believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Such people are not led away from God. They're led to God. Yes, they can be confused about doctrine. They can be temporarily led into error. We can disagree about secondary things, but a true Christian cannot be led totally away from God and can never finally lose his or her position in Christ's kingdom. You may, for a time, even backslide into your previous unbelieving way of life, but God will always bring you back if you truly are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You will not be led away from God, but to God. Therefore, no one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells can truly, ultimately blaspheme Christ in the sense, particularly, of rejecting who he is. And no no one who does not have the Holy Spirit can truly confess Christ. Paul writes in verse 3, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Think of the example as C.S. Lewis rightly pointed out. uh, It's actually foolish to say that Jesus was a good and wise teacher, but that he is not God. Why did Lewis say that was foolish? Well, because Jesus clearly claimed to be God. It's not hard to find his claims to be God, to have authority that belongs only to God. For example, one of his early miracles in his public ministry was to cause a paralytic man to rise and walk and take up his bed and walk away. And he did that in particular 
after he had told the man his sins were forgiven, and the scribes and Pharisees were scandalized by that. Why? How dare Jesus say that he could forgive this man's sins? Only God can forgive those sins. And then Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Turns to the man and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man did. So God confirmed with a miracle that Jesus was telling the truth about God, including that he had the authority to do what was only God's prerogative to do, meaning that he must be God. And Jesus, time and time again, showed that he was God. Claimed authority that belonged to God. Claimed that he and the Father are one. Saying that he was the Son of God was one of the things that caused people to pick up stones to stone him because they knew that made him equal with God. He clearly claimed to be God, He claimed for himself prerogatives that belonged only to God. Therefore, as Lewis said, he is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So either he's lying, he knows he's not telling the truth, or he thinks he's telling the truth, he thinks he is God, but he's not, in which case he's crazy, or he's who he says he is. He's the Lord. No one can claim that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, or imply it by the assertion that Jesus is not truly God if he was truly born again. No one who's truly born again can say Jesus is a liar or a lunatic. No one who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them is going to reject Jesus for who he claimed to be. Likewise, no one can truly confess Christ with saving faith if he does not have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. So let's dig into these Three things related to the fact that Jesus is Lord. So number one, we've already touched on these. No one with the Holy Spirit can reject Jesus for who he truly is. Blaspheme him in that way. Paul says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. There may be a relation here to the possibility that former pagans were looking for spiritual experiences in the church that were something like what they had experienced before in their paganism. They were looking for spiritual experiences in Christianity that were similar to the false spiritual experiences they had had uh, when they were worshiping false gods. Uh, Pagan religious rites were often characterized, particularly ones that you could find in and around Corinth, were particularly characterized by ecstatic experiences of the participants. These would be brought on by alcohol, by drugs, by meditation, or by frenzied dancing and wild behavior designed to create an altered state of consciousness. As we'll see later, Lord willing, the overemphasis of speaking in tongues within the Corinthian church was probably a symptom of that desire for an ecstatic experience. It's also possible that some used uh, pagan methods uh, to induce such experiences and, and while under such influence may even have said Jesus is accursed. Whether they literally said those words, Jesus is accursed, or simply implied it. I can tell you I've read many an account of people in history who thought they were in contact with angels, with spirits who are righteous. 
And while these so-called angels, I think they were angels, they were just the fallen variety, uh, but while these so-called angels would say things at first that sounded good, sounded like they comported with Scripture, they inevitably would lead these people to blaspheme Christ, to reject him for who he truly is, to say Christ is not God. I don't think it's a coincidence that people today who think they're in contact with aliens from outer space or from other dimensions uh, also end up hearing that message. It becomes basically New Age religion. Right? And uh, remember one apologist many decades ago here you say, it's very curious to me that beings would travel halfway across the universe just to tell us what New Agers could have already told us. <laughs> but they often will say, Christ is not God. There is no Trinity, which of course is another way of saying Jesus isn't God. Or he loves it when we sin, so... Uh, He can have the chance to forgive us. They'll teach all kinds of things against God's law. Bible scholars have also pointed out that there were three main groups of people in Corinth who called Jesus accursed in some way or another. The unbelieving Jews would emphasize Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, which says that anyone hanging on a tree is cursed. That's true. That's why Jesus, or part one reason why God caused Jesus to be crucified. He didn't die uh, by other means. He didn't die by the sword. He died while hanging on a tree. It shows that he received God's curse, but he received God's curse in our place. As Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 predicted, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So people viewing it, in other words, Isaiah predicted, would, would say, looks like God has cursed this man. And Isaiah's answer is yes, but not for him, for us. Not because of something he did, but because of what we've done. But he was wounded, Isaiah says, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But the unbelieving Jewish teachers would say that Jesus cannot be Lord because he was clearly cursed by God. Also, purveyors of pagan religions would say that Jesus was not someone worth worshiping, someone worth following, because What kind of God lets himself get killed like that? And thirdly, there were what we might call proto-Gnostics, people who were getting into something that we would now call Gnosticism, people who latched onto certain aspects of Christianity, but who filtered them through the preconceptions of their Greek philosophy. Particularly, there were many who believed that that, uh, that all matter is evil. All physical matter is evil, and that all spirit is good. Now, that contradicts Scripture, because we know there are evil spirits, and we know that God made the physical world and declared it very good, right? But this uh, Greek philosophy said that that, uh, all matter is evil, all spirit is good, so if Jesus had a real physical body, then he must have been accursed. And since John tells us in 1 John 4, 3 that every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is, is not of God, Christians must believe 
that Jesus had a literal, true, physical body made of matter. And so if you believe that all matter is evil, then Jesus' body must be evil. Many Gnostics, Gnostic so-called Christians, would get around that by saying his body was an illusion. It had to be because matter is evil. So these proto-Gnostics would say that, that we believed in an accursed in an accursed Jesus. But Simon Jake Histemacher, commentator, points out that the real emphasis Paul is making here is about the presence or absence of the Holy Spirit. He writes, the person, whether Jew or Gentile, who blasphemes Jesus' name will not be uttering his curse through God's Spirit. The person, whether Jew or Gentile, who confesses Jesus' lordship is filled with the Holy Spirit. A Christian early in his walk might be confused or uninformed on the finer points of doctrine concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. We might misspeak or use language that isn't quite precise. The problem cases are really those who insist as a matter of doctrine that there is a principle for them, let's put it that way, there are things that are contrary to the Bible and the Bible's clear teaching on Christ's person and work. They will insist these things contrary to the scripture must be believed. Such people give themselves away as those who do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Jehovah's Witness who rejects that Jesus is Jehovah is actually blaspheming Christ, rejecting him for who he really is. You cannot have the Holy Spirit. He's not your Christian brother, but needs to hear the true gospel as any unbeliever does. The same is true of a Mormon. He needs to hear the gospel like any other unbeliever does. The liberal so-called Christian who says there are many ways to God, contrary to Jesus' own statements, or that Jesus did not need to satisfy God's wrath. God isn't angry at sin. The rejecting Christ by appending his name, they're blaspheming him by appending his name to a person of their own imagining. Someone who is not the Christ revealed in Scripture. The papist who claims the Pope is the head of the church or that Mary and the saints have to be worshipped and prayed to. The rejecting Christ is the only mediator between God and man and the only head of the church. Such people do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. There are people who might be in some of those churches that we just mentioned who do believe the true gospel and they need to get out of those churches, but... Those who hold to those doctrines don't have the Holy Spirit. No one with the Holy Spirit can truly blaspheme Jesus in the sense of rejecting him for who he truly is. Number two, no one can truly confess Jesus as Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, key to my statement there is the word truly. No people can say those words out loud, right? Uh, Jesus professed to be following Christ. Judas, did I say Jesus? Judas professed to be following Christ but actually rejected him for who he truly is. In Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Notice they say, Lord, Lord. They actually literally call Jesus Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So notice those people Jesus orders to depart from him because they're workers of iniquity or practicers of lawlessness. They give lip service to his lordship. They say the words out loud. They call him Lord with their mouths. But they lack faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And Romans 10.9 tells us if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or really it's better translated, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So notice faith has to come with the confession. You can't just repeat the words and that saves you. It's not a magic formula. Romans 1.4 tells us, Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus proved he is the Son of God. So you have to believe what the resurrection proves. That Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he is God in the flesh. And confess him with your mouth as Lord. Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 12.3, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you have saving faith, your heart has been changed by the Holy Spirit. About Christ, Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted, that's had faith, right? After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Ephesians 2.8, we're told that saving faith is the gift of God, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. No one can truly confess Jesus as Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Jesus' Lordship has three aspects, at least. Number one, he is Yahweh. He is the Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul uses there the word kurios in Greek. It means Lord. He concludes that passage in verse 13 of Romans 10. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in other words, you call Jesus Lord, you believe in him, you'll be saved because whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Greek grammar tells us that Uh, Verse 9 is true because verse 13 is true. In other words, confessing Jesus as Lord is to be saved because calling on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, is to be saved. So I just gave away what I'm getting at here, but in verse 13, Paul is directly quoting Joel 2.32 that we read earlier, using the same word kurios to translate the word Lord, or literally to translate the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Joel 2.32 says to call on the name of Yahweh is to be saved. In other words, Jesus is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. To be saved, you must confess and believe that Jesus is the Lord God. B, second aspect of Jesus' lordship, is that he is the king of the universe. Of course, as God, he has always been the ruler of all things. But also in his human nature, he has been made Lord over all things after completing his mission in perfect submission to God. Acts 2.36 God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. 
In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has given Jesus the name which is above every name so that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, what? That he is Lord. In 1 Timothy 6.15, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Likewise, in Revelation 17.14 and 19.16, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of the universe. That's an aspect of his lordship. We can say as an aside here, the fact that as such a king, he has been given to the church, as the end of Ephesians 1 tells us. This is what we call his mediatorial kingship, that he rules the whole universe on your behalf, on his people's behalf. Jesus is king of the universe. Then C, another aspect of his lordship is that he is the personal lord of every believer. He is your master. Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Again, Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in every meaning of that term, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Luke 6, 46, Jesus asks there, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? If he is not your Lord, if he's not your master, then he's not your Savior. Jesus is the personal Lord of every believer. So Jesus is Lord. No one can reject that fact and be understood to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, liberal so-called Christians are not your Christian brothers and sisters if they do not believe this. They need to be evangelized. Like all the rest of the lost. Share the true gospel. The true Jesus with people around you. Especially those who are in the darkness of these false beliefs. Conversely, no one can truly confess Jesus as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. People who believe the authentic gospel are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They may have secondary differences with you. They may have different beliefs about who is to be baptized. They may have different understanding of church government, different understanding of, of public worship. And we can be iron sharpening iron. We should work with them on those things to, to be finding what does the Bible actually teach us on this. But rejoice that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you recognize and do others that Jesus is Yahweh? Do you and do they submit to him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? There are lots and lots of applications for that that we don't have time to go into here, but many things that we can teach about Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But do you submit to him, do others, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do you and do others around you bow to him as your personal Lord? Jesus is Lord. So let's treat him as such. Well, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that he is Yahweh in the flesh. We also know that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and that he is our personal Lord or we do not have him as Savior. 
We pray that we would ever honor him as Lord in every way that that word means, in every application of that term, as we pray these things in his blessed name. Amen.